to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. All right. Hey, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How is everyone on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you take a moment to pause, to take a deep breath, and enjoy the beauty of just having that breath come into your body and let it inform how you see the rest of your day. Okay, so today's episode, I have a beautiful person who I met a couple years ago at a writing residency in upstate New York at the Malay Colony for the Arts. Um, he is just all things amazing. I think he saved my life while we were there because it was a weird dynamic, but that's a different story. Right, <laughs> he, right. he saved me. So I'd like to introduce my friend who is an interdisciplinary artist and educator he also does some administrative stuff on the side. That's important because that also is a time suck, but we need to acknowledge that. Um, yeah, he combines movement, sound, and light to create compelling portraits of American life for the stage. His full length and one act dramas give voice to individuals historically absent from the theater. Um, including, I'm going to just interject in your official bio, especially highlighting those of the black experience. Um, and so his professional life has been defined by a passion for scripting, staging, and performing original drama. Uh, that passion has informed his approach to teaching as well. So he is a professor at um, Hampshire College, and he recently had just completed the very difficult job of being the vice president of student affairs and had to deal with all the craziness that comes with the pandemic. It's like, you got students who are like, where do I go? What do I do? Ah. So he's been under a lot of stress lately. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how um, he's been able to navigate that. But um, without further ado, I would like to introduce to the show, Jola Brenner. Thank you for that great introduction. It's good to see you. I don't think I've seen you since we were at the Malay Colony for the Arts. No, we haven't. I mean, we have, you know. Communicated, uh, but I haven't seen you. Even this is virtual, but, you know, I'll take it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's amazing to see you again. I'm so glad to uh, reconnect with you, um, even if it is in this way. Yeah, and uh, I can't wait to see what the conversation holds for us. So we'll turn to Hafez, our great Sufi mystic poet, who will guide us on our path. And so, oh, so this poem in my roulette of poems is called Dividing God. The moon starts singing when everyone is asleep, and the planets throw a bright robe around their shoulders and whirl up close to her side. Once I asked the moon, why do you and your sweet friends not perform so romantically like that to a larger crowd? And the whole sky chorus resounded, the admission price to hear the lofty minstrels speak of love is only affordable to those who have not exhausted themselves dividing God all day and thus need rest. The thrilled tavern fiddlers who are perched on the roof do not want their notes to intrude upon the ears where an accountant lives with a sharp pencil keeping score of words another in their great sorrow or sad anger may have once said to you. Hafez knows The sun will stand as your best man and whistle when you have found the courage to marry forgiveness, when you have found the courage to marry love. Beautiful. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. So what jumps out at you right away, just to kind of get our conversation going? Um, well, we, we started, before the tape started rolling, I, I was telling you that I, it's a difficult time for a lot of people. So what rang out to me in the poem was the just the 
inherent need for courage. Uh, and that's all of us. And whether we're confronting um, social and racial injustice, whether we're confronting, um, you know, the crazy person in the White House, um, or whether it's our own sort of, um, our own struggle with maintaining balance, um, you know, equilibrium and all of that. So that's sort of where I've been in the scope mm. of this. And I think of myself, Leslie, and maybe you don't know this about me, but I think of myself as kind of um, an introvert or, or a reluctant extrovert at best. But, you know, the isolation sort of uh, thrust upon us right now is even a lot for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, in what way? Can you say more about that? Because I, I find that a lot of introverts are like, yes, welcome to our world, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, you know, I, I, you listen, I'm, I'm the first to admit, I need, I need a lot of downtime, but I also need people. And so mm. I've been reminded of that in this, uh, in this pandemic. I mean, I have a partner, but my partner lives in another city. And so pretty much uh, I live alone. Mm. Um, so, you know, my uh, most compelling relationships are probably with the checkout people at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wave through the screen to my mailman and it's very exciting. You know, once yeah, you yeah. forward to that interaction. You know, and there's Zoom. It's sort of like the virtual interactions like we have right now. And I certainly talk to people by phone and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it's, it's different because when you have to leave your front door, you have a different sense of engagement with the world. Mm -hmm. You have to interact with people in the neighborhood. There's a whole different community engagement that needs to mm -hmm. take place, which, uh, which I've realized I miss. So, mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you and I are the same in that in that respect. Where um, I've been, I've been calling myself an extroverted introvert because I need, I need that alone yeah. time. I need that, you know, cocooning yeah. time. Yeah. But I also need to interact physically with people to socialize just a little bit, just yeah. to kind of balance that out. Yeah. So That's how have you been managing? Um, like what kinds days, of things are you doing? Some days are good. You know, I certainly, uh, lean into my, uh, meditation practice. Um, I try to, you know, all the, it's kind of cliche stuff, but I try to exercise, you know, mm, um, mm. and I'm, I'm good at, uh, I call my, I browner size myself, you know, once a day. And, uh, what I does go, that mean? That means I jump around or dance around. Nice. My townhouse. Put yes. stick up really loud, you know. I have a oh, great I love it. It's a party up in here, baby. It's all I love it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to live by uh, the river, Miss Connecticut, mm -hmm. as I call her. So I often go for walks down by the river, which is really five minutes away. Um, so I do that. And as I said, I engage with people by phone and by Zoom. Um, mm. I start teaching in a week, so there'll be a whole different level of engagement with my colleagues at Hampshire College and also with my students. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's, it's the balance, it's a balancing act, you know? Um, yeah. So just to kind of circle back to the poem, you were talking about courage and I'm wondering how that comes into play with these practices that you've incorporated in this this new quote-unquote new normal yeah yeah i think courage in some ways is to to remember to stand in love mm. you know um I, I like the term that i think it was tuck and patty coined about being love warriors in a way um i think that we're living through a time where <laughs> it's real easy for people to get that we're all connected, whether we want to be or not, you know. Uh, we're all part of this big human family. Um, I think that takes some courage. And in the same time, that's not to dismiss, discount, all right, the, the, the prevalence of racism and depression and all those things 
that we're struggling with as well. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, it's so it sort of takes courage to, well, to be a black gay man in this world and walk, you know, with um, with pride to to walk with my head held up uh, in an environment. My, my, you know, I live I live in Western Massachusetts. I say, well, you know, this is this is really like not my sandbox. So <laughs> I'm often at odds. When I leave my house, I encounter a very different environment than I've created here in my home. Okay. Yeah, yeah for sure. Right. So it's not necessarily that I, I, um, I feel in physical danger when I leave my home. Well, sometimes that's the case, but it's more, it's more soul, emotional danger. I think it takes courage to stand in, in my own truth, right? Mm. Mm. Um, and I think we're living in a time where that's increasingly difficult for yeah. a lot of us, certainly people of color, yeah. certainly, certainly women, uh, certainly uh, queer people, certainly um, a lot of different people who have experienced or come from sort of marginalized uh, realities and experience, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, as you're talking, I'm, I'm wondering, so we are experiencing a time of, of you know, unrest, we'll call it. But, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's, we're coming to grips with, yes, racism is a thing that is still very present in this country, right? And so, you you know you mentioned that it's it's a challenge and it takes courage to step into these identities of marginalized people but at the same time with this uprising does it feel less not dangerous but does it feel less i guess isolating or less like you're not doing it alone I'm not Do you know what I mean? Alone. Yeah. Like yeah. more and more people are coming out of the woodwork. They're coming from the margins. They're they're making their way to the center to say, "Hey, we are here, and deal with us." <laughs> it is uh, and that, and that part is wonderful and empowering. I still think it requires some courage. You know, I think it because it's dangerous because yeah. there is a long history. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> marginalization right yeah. and racial oppression and racial violence and all of that so yeah. um yeah. definitely it feels like a lot of people are waking up to a reality that many of us have known and experienced for a very long time and that is really um that's a reason to celebrate that feels like a victory for sure yeah yeah you know and I, mean? I and i love that that you're framing yeah. it that way yeah. Because a lot of people are like, well, it's about freaking time. You know, like they're all like yeah. raining on the parade. I was like, no, let's like, let's encourage people. Be like, yes, yes you're awake. But, you're aware. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> let's do something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I want to ask you, how does this, this, we'll call it an awakening. I mean, a lot of people in different communities, you know, are calling this like the big awakening, the great awakening, whether it's a spiritual awakening, whether it's social consciousness, um, there is this new awareness yeah. of how things have been. Yeah, and yeah. so my question for you is how then does your spiritual practice come into play with that? Because, you know, some, some yeah. spiritual philosophies and some spiritual teachings are along the lines of like, oh, we're all spirit souls, you know, like we're all the same, you know, but in reality, in the physical existence of my body, I'm treated differently, you know, because I'm a woman of color. I am not the same as, yeah. you know, another, a white person. Yeah. So how do you combine yeah. those two things or, or do they get combined or how do you like bring yeah. them together or not? Yeah. No, it's a very good question. It's a very good question. And, you know, depending on the day, <laughs> uh, I do it well, or I do it inconsistently, or I struggle with it. Um, as I was saying uh, a few minutes ago, I do believe we're all connected. I, I do believe there is a great oneness of which we all are a part. Um, I think that as we move through our soul's journey, uh, we're liable to forget that um, based on the sort of path, the either conscious or unconscious that we've chosen. So what 
meditation does, and I do Vipassana meditation, um, which is, is really about sort of a loving detachment, right, from sensations in the body, right? The belief is, of course, that um, we create misery in our lives because either we're um, attaching ourselves to something, we're craving it, or we're trying to detach, we're trying to avoid it, right? So, mm. right? Um, I like that distinction. Craving, of... craving and aversion are the ways yeah. in which we create uh, misery in our own lives. Yeah, you know? yeah, I like those word choices. Yeah, and it wasn't until I did this, because I've meditated for a very long time, but I started doing Vipassana several years ago, and it was the first time I really understood what detachment is. And it's not sort of, uh, uh, from my experience and the, and the uh, practice that I do, it's not about consciously trying to mash down what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking. It's observing what I'm feeling or thinking uh, without judgment and giving yeah. it very little attention and without attention, it goes away. Can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. Because I'm a poet and language is like yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Tell me why you are using the word detachment versus non-attachment because i've heard both yeah well i think it's when we attach ourselves to what we feel that we really get into trouble so for example when i started doing vipassana um i noticed uh there were certain sort of sensations in the body mm. connected to uh anger there were okay. certain sensations in the body connected to uh, grief or sadness. Um, and I could focus on those sensations or I could just sort of lovingly watch them float through, right? Mm. And that floating through, that mean, it might, they might be there a day or they might be there a minute, you know? Mm -hmm. But not trying to manipulate the length of time that they sort of came through my energetic field. So I guess it, it's the same for me, non-attachment and attachment and detachment, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Non-attachment, detachment. I think, I think the goal is the same, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, well, and the reason- the language, maybe it means something slightly different, I'm not sure. Well, because I know for, um, for me, detachment had, lends this meaning of like, I don't care. Do you know, like uh -huh. I am detached from I see feeling mean. bad for the fact Got that it. you broke your leg. You know Got what it. I mean? Got versus Got versus Got like, oh, I noticed that you broke your leg. I express my sympathies, but I am not attached to the fact that I yeah. need to then maybe help you in ways that That's are beyond me. Yeah, I understand. And I, yeah. yeah. My goal because, is that, what you said. Yeah, because, because <laughs> detachment feels like a cutting off, you know, yeah, versus yeah. non-attachment is what you were talking about, this observing of like, oh, I'm just going to like uh -huh. notice. All yeah. right. Yeah. My belly is feeling really hot, but I'm not going to make any yeah. meaning of it. I'm yeah. just going to say, hey, it's hot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. That's it. So, That's it. So how does this? How so? This I. This is a beautiful practice, by the way. I love it. Um, and and my whole meditation practice is varied. Depends on the day. You know, how am I feeling uh -huh. today? I, I don't know. This discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. But how then does it come into play when, let's say, um, some kind of racial incident happens mm -hmm. in your life? Yeah. You know what? Yeah. What What's going on there? Like. I don't know so if you have any examples to draw so from the, the, the mundane experience of, and, and that, and it could be uh, a racist incident, or it could be, you know, somebody, somebody cutting me off in the parking could lot, be could yeah. be any, any of that thing, or those things could be connected. You don't yeah. know sometimes. Right, right. But um, I will say what's, what I was getting, what I was going to say is that when I started doing Vipassana, I could be aware of the heat and the anger mm. that would arise. But I found that I didn't stew in it. 
Mm. Um, right? I was I was able to uh, uh, I want to say use your language now. There there was no attachment to it, right? Um, so the the feeling is still there, but I now feel like I don't have to give it as much energy as I used mm. to, right? Yeah. And I might still call you out, say, um, hey, no, that thing you did, that was really mm. <laughs> You shouldn't do that, right? Or it may be a bit more, you know, volatile than that. But the point is, um, it changes my relationship to mm. the incident, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that's not to say that I still won't call it out or that I still won't go and protest or that I still won't, you know, in some way um, counteract it or be proactive against it. So yeah, yeah. it just changes my relationship to, to it, you know, and I feel the same thing in most of my relationships. Actually, one of my nieces noticed uh, about after I had been doing Vipassana for a couple years, she said, yeah, uncle, I don't know. You get angry now, but I don't know. It just doesn't last. <laughs> you know. How old is she? She's, uh, well, she's more like a sister. She's only like, a, we're only a year or so apart. Oh, okay. So we grew okay. up together. You know oh, okay, I mean? okay. Because I was going to say, that's very astute for someone who's younger but yeah no and she knows and she's you know she's a scorpio too so she okay knows. <laughs> she knows how to tap into uh my anger yeah mm, uh, we, mm. we uh we grew up like siblings really and fought like cats and dogs but love each other's <laughs> dirty funky draws just beautiful. Beautiful. yeah those are the best sometimes you know right, right. so what i'm hearing is that when you come in to an experience that might be really charged emotionally. Yeah. yeah. That your meditation practice has enabled you to feel it, to acknowledge it for what it is, to correct it, you know, like call out people when they need to be called out, but you don't get sucked into the drama of it. Yeah. That's a good way to frame it. That's so good. That's if it. only the rest of the world could be like this. Yeah, yeah. If only, <laughs> if only. Because come on, you know the the stress uh, of, of racism is real, and I think it's making a lot of us really sick. Yeah, yeah. Disease. Yeah, you know? for I mean, a long time. It's I mean, a it's a very, very long time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, certainly for black people in this country, I, I think we still are dealing with the trauma of racial totally. oppression, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, generational. Generational yeah. stuff. Yeah, a friend of yeah. mine was telling me recently that there is now sort of scientific evidence that certain um, genetic stressors can be passed from mother to child in the mm -hmm. womb. You know, yeah. so you can yeah. imagine like 400 years of that stuff going from. Yeah. yeah. And, and really affecting folks at the cellular level. At that the cellular level. You're not even aware of until something yeah. shows up, you know, some, some disease right. shows up. Right. Um, right. 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 So. Which I, is wild. Yeah. yeah. Saw, so I meditation. Some, <laughs> meditation. I heard something on NPR recently. It said, well, there is now scientific evidence that the stress of racism can actually contribute to high blood pressure. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Took you that long to figure it out? Well, the thing is, the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the racist part. They probably knew that for a long time. Yeah. And only now they're like, oh, we discovered, quote unquote, yeah, that right. this is happening because they're getting a lot of pressure yeah. from external yeah. forces, you know. But I feel like this this has knowledge has been known um, and it has a lot uh, the fact that that knowledge has been the fact. It's not a fact, but <laughs> I'm talking very freely. But, you know, presuming that that knowledge has been known yeah. is part and has been suppressed is part of the systemic racism that we're talking about, you know, that in, in exactly. current conversations. Yeah. Um, and, and so you, you wonder, I mean, what's coming to mind for me now is, is this idea of um, because 
black folks have been seen as not human, that these medical trends were largely ignored right. because right. you don't count as people. You, you know, count like, as people. So yeah. what validity did it hold anyway? And who cared, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A person, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's important for us to understand this history because one thought that jumped into my head was like, well, so what? What can we do about it now? You know, but it's important to know the history so that we can know how to continue to change it to yeah. move and forward. We can know how to combat it, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. we know, wow, if we're really dealing with that level of disrespect and disengagement, you know, the work is pretty immense. So, in, yeah. some, in some ways it is. Uh, as you said, the reasons to celebrate are that I think more people are realizing that it's been this way for a very, very long time. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, so, and so I'm wondering, we, we've been talking about large topics and bringing it to your um, meditation practice and how you as an individual have been able to navigate through the changes and the shifts, um, including the stressful semester that you had this past spring, I yeah. can only imagine that yeah. your meditation practice propped you up in ways that you yeah. probably would yeah. not be aware of had yeah. you not had the practice. Yeah. Um, and then, and Leslie, and I was really only doing the absolute minimum. I mean, I. I could have, should have, you know, probably <laughs> would have benefited much, much more had mm. I, say, uh, meditated twice a day instead of mm. once a day. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we do what we do, what we, what we can do when we can do it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And glean something from it. And it's, it's, it's funny because people sort of, I think, observe a very sort of calm and balanced exterior on the inside. You know, I know there's a lot of work I need to be doing on this to maintain that for myself, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. As you said that, what came to mind was, um, so last night my kids were watching The Avengers, like the, yeah. the first movie with all the Avengers, and there's this one line that, that Bruce Banner says towards the end, because they're like, come on, you know, you got to bring, like, what can we do to get you angry to, like, you know, activate the Hulk? He's yeah. like, that's the secret. I'm always angry, right? And you're like, oh, you know? So it's like, what, nobody knows what goes on below the surface of what right. people show us. That's right. Um, that's right. Unless, that's right. unless you're receptive to energetic, you know, signals, yes. um, like yeah. empaths and highly sensitive yes. people. Yes. But it's just, um, it's just, yeah. yeah, you know, maybe... I practice meditation so that I can create a, a exterior of calm, yes, but I'm still, yes. like you said, doing the work inside so That's that right. it can meet, right. match up with the outside. That's right. That's right. <sighs> so, yeah. so the, it's so funny cause you're like, I should have practiced <laughs> twice yeah, a day yeah. or whatever. You don't <laughs> shit on yourself. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I, I really am not mad about it at all. I did, yeah. you know, what I did yeah. when I could. And yeah, yeah. And you so... You also need sleep and well, <laughs> you need to eat. No, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but, you know, but, but what's interesting is that when people generally say, oh, I should have done this or whatever, what I like to, to pose as a question is, um, well, we'll take, we'll take your, I should have meditated you know, twice a day or whatever. Yeah, what is yeah. that? What is that pressure about? You know, like why do yeah. you think that you should have when maybe at that time it wasn't as pressing of a priority yeah. as eating or sleeping? You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. why why beat yourself up about? I'm not saying that you do, but when yeah, people yeah. should on themselves, people, some people certainly do. Yeah, I don't berate myself. For those things i just know that when i find myself in a pinch meaning when um my <laughs> my energy is vibrating uh, intensely um i say to myself okay let's just sit right here let's just do some vipassana you know i may yeah. be sitting at my desk at the college i may be at home so I do know how to do that, and uh, but some, sometimes I think 
for all of us, there are so many distractions and so yeah. many things that pull our energies and our focus in different directions, right? That we forget. Well, like, oh, it. we have we have this resource right yes. here. Right. Yeah. So, totally. totally. Yeah, but I know that some people do really like beat themselves up for us like, oh man. Yeah, and I love that you say that we forget because I was thinking that where we get so wrapped up in the doing and yeah. like, here's my to-do list and here's what I got to get done. And, you yeah. know, like crazy, this crazy, that news, news, social media, blah, 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 that we forget who we actually are inside of these exterior bodies. Yes. yes. Um, yes. Because, because sometimes I do that where I'm like, Oh, I should have meditated last night or whatever. And then I'll be like, well, why didn't you not in the scolding uh, way but more yeah. in an inquiry way and it's like oh because i forgot the power of meditation and how beneficial it is like i just forget and yeah. it, it, i mean it's like it's this constant like sort of inner monologue where you're like yeah. yes. battling yourself where you're like oh i should meditate yeah but i'm tired but you know how good it is but yeah but i'm tired i'm tired <laughs> I just want to watch HGTV for the next <laughs> Right. I want to get some new ideas for my home. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, I have a question for you, actually. Yeah. Because one of the things that um, I feel uh, I've struggled with also over the last uh, couple of years, actually, since we were at Malay, is sort of mm. I got really wrapped into uh, collegial life. Uh, both from teaching and doing administration. So one of the ways that I feel uh, I am uh, just coming back into balance is in my creative life. Mm. And I, I guess my question to you is, how have you juggled that? And also being a mom and podcast. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because... That was the question I was going to ask you next. Oh, <laughs> but you beat me to it. So we funny. can we can have a conversation about it because uh, because I am interested in in finding out how um, you are using this balance of meditation. You've got the job responsibilities like I do, and then where does the creative work lie? But also, does that practice of meditation inform mm -hmm. how you're creating? Um, and whatever it is, you know, cause yeah. I know you, yeah. you like to dance, you do dance and, and screenwriting, playwriting and, um, all the things that I want to know how they're all coming together. And then I'll, and then I'll answer after you, you first, you're the guest. <laughs> you first, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good question. I don't know that I have a succinct answer for that one. I, I, I'm pretty sure that my meditative practice informs everything at this point. Mm. Everything that mm. I do. So even if it's just my facility for sitting still and listening, uh, particularly if I'm writing um, through the voice of another character, right? Really understanding what that character's vocabulary is, what their motivations are, you know, what justifies their behavior and their relationships to other characters in a piece. Um, I think it informs me in that way. I think also it comes back always, and it has for a while, um, to the great I am, mm. to the awareness, acknowledgement, and appreciation for the fact that we're all connected. So it allows me to write a character who may be very, very different than I am because I understand the humanity in them Mm. Um, you know, uh, uh, even if I disagree <laughs> vehemently <Yeah>. with <laughs> their yeah. points of view, it's like, okay, uh, you're, you're really misguided or stupid, but okay. Right. I'm, right. I'm going to try to be in there. I'm going <laughs> to find some empathy here. Right, 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 right. Right, right. <laughs> right. Which, is, which is hard. Yeah, yeah. Which is so, hard. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about that because because I have a friend who's writing um, persona poems and she's trying to write in the voice of a man who shot another man, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's there's a story around it. But how do you empathize with somebody like that? You know, it's. I feel like you got to do some digging into really fleshing out the character to find out like how did they get to be this person? 
Yeah. You know, where they, it's okay for them to shoot another person, to take another life, you know, like how much hurt did they experience as a child or, you know, and to go that way, yeah. that's, that's some work, but some to work. have the meditation as your support yeah. can help prevent you from falling into that pit of despair, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or for me, it's, it's not the pit of despair as much as it is, I'm really going to be judged for finding the ability to empathize with mm. this monster. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think there is power in that, in that ability to find uh, empathy and compassion for us. As you said, someone gets to that point, uh, I, I would say it's probable that they've been through a lot of pain themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So I can, I can understand that. And I can also tap into moments in my own life when I have been so angry that I felt out of control. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I go, you know, I go shooting about it, slapping about it outside the head, but I felt like the impulse was familiar enough for me to understand where yeah. it's coming from yeah you know? yeah but um, i want to say it, it might be a little more challenging if it's somebody who wants to cause you personal harm you know so yeah. i'm thinking like specifically about patricia smith's poem skinhead i don't know if you're familiar no. with that poem where she takes on the voice of a skinhead a, a neo-nazi and she embodies that persona yeah. So much yeah. so that I, and yeah. as a black woman, I mean, I'm like, oh, like, you know, I'm like, it's intense. And yeah. she, she does yeah. it. And I, every yeah. time I hear her, you know, uh, read this poem or I read it myself, I'm really truly blown away by, mm. by whatever it took for her to create that. Um, I'm writing that persona. It Yeah. Yeah. You should definitely Patricia, check it out. What's her last name? Smith, Patricia Smith. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She's amazing. But that poem, Skinhead, it's just like, wait a minute. You're writing in the voice of a <laughs> white man who wants yeah. you dead. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just think that that having some kind of practice to ground you helps keep you in your, in your truth, in your inner truth, so that you don't get swept up into, you know, misidentifying with things, you know, like if I were to write, like, let's say, I'm, let's just say for argument's sake, I'm Patricia Smith writing about this, this white man who wants to kill me. And I don't have a meditation practice, or I don't have practices in place that keep yes. me who I am. Yes. You know, then I might get wrapped up in the anger there you and go. then drama, and yeah. then and then Absolutely. cause myself more harm than good. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that for me has been the the power and the saving grace of the Vipassana to to, yeah. to learn to lovingly non non attachment <laughs> to lovingly just let it go. I'll just let allow it, it to pass through. You wow. know, um, is it Pema Chondron? She says. Um, your mind is the sky. Everything else is weather. Ha! I love that. <laughs> yeah. Love that. <laughs> love I love that. it too. Because, yeah. it, you know, it just passes through. The sky is still there, yeah. you know? And it just so, goes So right how, how do you balance? How do you find uh, space to, to do your creative work? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is creative. No, I, I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, what what I what I find is so I have a, a regular morning practice that combines meditation and and yoga, um, specifically yeah. Kundalini yoga, and um, and lately I've been incorporating the five Tibetan rites. I don't know if you know about that one, but that's that's really good. It's also known as the Fountain of Youth. Uh-huh. And it's five simple exercises that you do and you just get revved up. It, it realigns your chakras and activates the energy. So it's a good morning thing to do to Wonderful. get you going. Yeah. Um, but what, what I do with those practices, and I, and I do journaling, and what I do with those practices is that it helps me remember yeah. like who I am and what it is I'm doing. It, it, it's away from all the business of the external world yes. so that I can like start that day clear 
right? Yeah. And, and I notice the days that I don't do my practices, which is not often, you know, it's because I know what's going to happen. Like, it's, yeah. I, I almost do it out of fear of what's going to happen when I don't yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, everything just kind of falls apart. It's like all the, all the drama and all the issues and all the whatever starts to pile up when I don't, when I don't do my practices because yeah. it gives me clarity. Um, and it prioritizes things for me where it's like, all right, is this really important for me to address, you know, right now, or can it wait until later? So I'm able to, to approach my daily life with, uh, a, a clearer mind. And as far as the creative part is going, it's at least this summer I've come to, um, so when, when right before pandemic started, I um, was engaged in writing a daily poem with a friend of mine as our Lenten practice because uh -huh. we wanted to do something for Lent, but we didn't want to give up anything, you know? So we're like, Hey, let's write a poem a day. And then pandemic hit right in the middle of Lent. And um, I was like, Oh, we'll just keep going. And then it became this practice that I did where I wrote a poem every day. And then I, so I have a lot of pandemic poems, mm. but then, um, then George Floyd was murdered. And the poems stopped. Yeah. Like I just couldn't write anything. I, could, I was just like, yeah. I would yeah. even sit down and put pen to paper and nothing. Like I was like, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what this feeling is that I have. I can't even articulate it. So yeah. I just stuck with my meditation and yoga practice um, just to stay present in my body, to try to stay present in the moment and then just trust that the, the writing was going to come again. And only last week it started you know, coming back where the poems are like, all right, we want to come out again. But in that time of this summer, I um, just accepted that my creating was looking different. You know, like for example, this podcast, you know, um, I was creating other things. You know, I created an offering for a writer's retreat that's happening next week. Um, I'm creating a new workshop that's happening this weekend. It's called Goddess Vision Boarding Workshop, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> nice. um, and I'm also reading, at least trying to read, but it's been, it's been hard to focus. Uh -huh. So um, I'm, I'm really leaning more into the meditation and the yoga practice even more because my usual go-tos aren't quite happening. Understood. Understood. You know, have you been able to read? Um, only in the summer. I mean, I, I read poems like yeah. because I can find the time for that during the academic year. Um, but during the summer, I, uh, I've been reading, I've, I've been reading novels Mm. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of reading, <laughs> reading a biography now about Sally Field. It's called In Pieces. Oh, mm. oh I've heard about it. Yeah. Is it I, any good? Uh, it's... Mm. Is it it's, fun? It's no. Sad? It's yeah. yeah. It's, it's, she, she had a rough go of it, and I, mm. I had no idea. You know, I just thought, Gidget, yeah. Flying Nun. But right, right. That was that was a big mask for a lot of other stuff that was going on. Um, I recently read The Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi oh, Coates, first okay. novel, and I read yeah. Dream River. I've become really- So you're able to read though, that's amazing. The summer, when I have- No, I, I don't even, I just mean cognitively, because oh, I, okay. I will sit yeah. with a book, Yeah. and I want to say like over the summer, you know, I'll yeah. sit with a book and I'll read the same sentence over and over, and I can't. Oh, okay. Like, okay. register it. I, I'm just, it. I can't. I'm Got just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm able to do that in the summer when I find, I just have more psychic space. And, and yeah, I, that's so I'm, good. I'm deliberate about doing that. Uh, in terms of my own writing, uh, it's sort of off and on, on you know. Um, yeah, I pulled out, I knew you would, uh, had invited me to read something today. So I had a couple choices and I wasn't sure, mm -hmm. I'm still not sure what I want to read. I may ask you to decide. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I actually bought uh, a poem that I, I wrote as a tribute to um, a friend, a mentor, a colleague. She was uh, um, one of the sort of movers and shakers of the Black avant-garde, uh, mm. Macaulay. And we did a tribute to her at Emerson College a couple years ago, and I read this piece. And the other thing I 
bought was sort of the last five pages or so of the play that I worked on at the Malay Colony of the Arts. Um, mm. and I don't remember if I read, I remember we shared work at that time. And this, this play for me was sort of pivotal in my own trajectory as an artist because it's the first time I wrote explicitly about my experience as a meditator. Mm. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. I actually would love to hear the poem that you wrote. And can you give me her name again? Her name is Robbie McCauley, and okay. she's still with us. She's in her 70s, um, but she's still doing it. Yeah? Yeah. Where is she now? She lives in New York with her daughter, actually. Okay. Yeah. Is she, is she, what's she doing? Is she just chilling like a good old That's elder a good and giving some advice? I'm sure she's got some machinations going on. She's always working on something, you know, yeah. just really, really dynamic lady. And, uh, all right. Anyway, um, well, I'll, I'll put her in the show notes so people can check out what she might be doing. Check her out. Um, and you'll hear some lyrics and some singing, and that is actually uh, a tune that my father wrote. Um, oh, nice. And I'm singing part of it. I've sort of done a, uh, what do you call a mashup? <laughs> oh, yes. What <laughs> the kids are calling a mashup. <laughs> yeah, those still children, you know. All right, so here we go. Things ain't been going right. Uh, I toss and turn all night. Keep my pillow wet with all my crying. The first time I remember seeing her, and I have to qualify this tribute that way because haven't I always heard, felt Robbie's indomitable spirit calling me to action, inviting, daring me to tell my story. It was San Francisco, 1994, Theater Artaud, Robbie and Laurie, mm -hmm. both movers and shakers of the Black avant-garde. Hey, sister, go, sister, soul, sister, go, sister, turning deceptively simple lyrics into lava. The piece was persimmon peel. The poetry was Laurie's. Her vulva transformed into a cardigan sweater. Cable stitch to comfort, excite and embrace, and Robbie's ironic rendition of Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light, which I have never been able to release from memory. Together they redefined patriotism, eroticism, collaboration, love, gave new meaning to, to, to trigger warning. The bitches was bad, okay? Things ain't been going right. I toss and turn all night, keep my pillow wet with all my crying. Oh yes, I'm leaving. I got to get away from here. The sex, sex, second time I witnessed Robbie rap an audience in utter brilliance was at Penumbra Theater in St. Paul. Woo! A lot of shit went down there, but I digress. She was performing solo, Sally's Rape, an ode to her great great-grandmother, an expose on Sally Hemings, little Sally Walker, and all the Imanis, Iingas, and Shaniquas who stood buck-naked on auction blocks, scarlet pain ripped from every pore, tripping down. She marched barefoot and bare-assed into the violence and shame of rape called for a collective reckoning to end, to... Mm, to end complici complicity, my. I understood freedom differently in the wake of that show. It was never light or airy for Robbie, perhaps for any person of African descent, the weight of generational trauma and resistance tethered to flesh. I'm tired of being so lonely. 
the third time I heard the word of Robbie was in Hartford, Connecticut. At Heartbeat Theater, Robbie dramatized her relationship with diabetes. Her story, like so many others, lived on the outskirts of healthcare, decades to diagnose, centuries to disconnect history, race, economics, CNH, Domino, Red Path, Florida, Crystals, all affiliates of American sugar refining. I in C, one big conglomerate. Black people, open your eyes to socially sanctioned addictions, the impact of ignorance, the import of look, look, looking truth squarely in the face, sugar. I have cherished, taught all of these stories in classrooms, studios, kitchens, and still know just a smattering of the magic Miss Macaulay generates, shares, envisions, lives. Her compassion immense, her commitment to truth and justice jarring, awe-inspiring. Her, her, <laughs> trigger warning, her smile is mischievous. Mm -hmm. Keep my pillow wet with all my crying. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, I'm leaving. I got to get away from here. Thank you, artist, woman, scholar, mother, teacher, poet, performer, prophet, Robbie. Thank you. That was amazing. I love the performative aspect of the poem. It wasn't what I was expecting. And I was like, oh, it's so exciting. So good. So good. Thank you. And thank you for giving me another opportunity to uh, perform it and say it now. Yeah. 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 It feels yeah. it feels so good to celebrate somebody um, yeah. who I don't know, but now I'm like, I want to go check her out. You should check her out. You yeah. Oh, amazing. So, Joel, this was a, a really fantastic conversation. I'm so glad we got to get together after so much time and to talk about the stuff that we love to talk about. <laughs> and I find that when we, when I talk to my guests about stuff that we like to talk about, that a lot more people like to listen in. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, this was really great. Yeah, I hope to see you and hear you soon. Yes, yes. So we will close the episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Namaste.